1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
0: Welcome to Bubble Trouble, conversations between independent analyst Richard Kramer, that's me, and the economist and author Will Page, where we lay out some inconvenient truths about how financial markets really work. This week, and in coming weeks, the Bubble Trouble team will turn our attention to the phrase du jour... The bait of all clickbaits, the mother of all bubbles, that is, the metaverse. More in a moment.
1: So we welcome to the stage, Ernest Lee, and we like to do that thing on Bubble Trouble that we always do with guests, which is we just want to hand you the microphone, Ernest, and just take your own time to explain you know, who you are, what the company is, what the experience the company is giving to the users of Amazvy Art but most importantly, tell our audience how they can follow your work as well.
2: Well, first off, thank you guys for having me on the show. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm Ernest Lee, our co-CEO at Amaze VR. And Amaze VR is a VR concert platform company that brings artists closer to fans than ever before. Um, Now, I think when your audiences hear VR, they automatically think of gaming. Um, But what we're building at Amaze is trying to expand that, is trying to make VR mass adopted, to make it appeal to the masses. And actually, what first got me into VR was not a game at all. It was actually a music experience itself. So back in 2015, I had my first VR experience. Uh, It was a one-off experience. It was U2, Song for Someone. I saw it on a a really janky Google Cardboard headset. Uh, I was actually working overseas in Japan at the time. And concerts are my happy place. It's where I find a cathartic release, where I find so much joy. Um, But I hadn't really had the opportunity to see a lot of shows um, while I was overseas. So... When I saw you 2 and I saw Bono within arm's reach of me, and as we're sitting in these communal circles, uh, and as the song progressed, we're teleporting across different cultures and societies around the world, I felt this visceral reaction. I felt this connection to humanity, and I knew that um, this technology was really going to change the way that we connect, tell stories, create, and I knew that I needed to be all in. So that was the initial onset of it all. Um, So it actually had nothing to do with gaming at first. And we hope that we can actually popularize this and make this appeal to a broader audience. Yeah, so if you would like to learn more about what we're building in Amaze, please go to AmazeVR.com or follow us on socials at AmazeVR across all platforms.
1: Fantastic. Now, Ernest, we're playing a little game as we explore the metaverse on this podcast, which is to give you the word count of a tweet, which I think is 150 plus characters. But what in a tweet-length comment would you say is a simple statement of what the metaverse is?
2: Yeah. So that's a, a big question. But if I were to attempt to answer that in a tweet, I'd say the metaverse is a digital layer over the physical world that expands our reality.
1: Now, the reverse of that is what is it not? How would you tell somebody what the metaverse is and where's the heart, the confusion that we're hearing around this term, the metaverse?
2: Yeah. So there's multiple ways we can take this. You know, I'd say the metaverse is not us interacting with technology, but it's us integrating with technology. And what I mean by that is in the metaverse, you will be interacting with technology, sure. But when you think of interacting, there's two parties there. There's the user itself, the audience, and across is the technology itself. But there's a separation between tech and user, tech and person. But I think in the metaverse era, it's really about how do we make this a seamless experience and really expanding this human experience by integrating technology into our lives even further.
1: Sure. Now, AR, VR, whatever you want to call it, does suffer from that kind of meh reaction, which is, oh, the boy who cried wolf again. They've always promised to deliver. They never actually do. How would you tell our audience that this time, AR, VR is going to deliver the goods?
2: You know, I think it's both similar and different to some of these past hype cycles. I would say it's similar, metaverse is similar in that it's actually very reminiscent of how VR felt back in 2015, where there was a lot of excitement, a lot of hype, People were excited about the DK1 headsets. They're making mass headsets by these cardboard versions. And <laughs> oh, there's a lot of these big tech investments happening. And also VCs are just pouring money into the industry. But if you peel back a few layers, you'd realize at that time, there really wasn't a lot of substance there quite yet. And I think the same is the metaverse today, actually, the reason why I think it's different, I mean, all technologies are dependent on previous technologies, of course but the metaverse is really dependent on the success of several core technologies. So before the metaverse can actually be here today, there are other techs such as VR, AR, NFTs, Web3, all those, all the acronyms that you wanna throw at it. They all need to independently succeed first before they can be wrapped under this greater metaverse umbrella.
1: So it's a a combination of snowballing effect, perhaps, which tells you why this time it's gonna be different. Exactly, exactly.
0: So, Will, let me let me step in here, because there's one thing that does feel to me like a big challenge. And, you know, how do you make this relevant to Will's parents or my parents or your parents? And for a lot of people, there's a, a couple of barriers they've got to overcome. First is strapping something onto their face, which obscures all of their vision and replaces it with an alternative version of reality, whether mixed or, or full virtual reality. And that, for the moment, makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. Uh, Even when you're watching uh, in the cinema or watching your television, even up close, you still have your peripheral vision. You still have that sense and you lose that. And I guess the other thing is the getting beyond the experiment phase. So I've seen back to the days of Jaron Lanier or Second Life in video games, you've seen a lot of these experimental virtual worlds that people are happy to imbibe or get themselves into for a period of time. But how does this go from experiment to mainstream and go from the sort of 20-something, dare I say, bro cohort to something that that goes through the ages from the teens to the oldies and across both sexes as well.
2: Right now, when people think of VR, kind of like I alluded to in the beginning, um, they automatically think about gaming. And if you just focus on gaming and build this as a gaming device, then it will remain forever niche. But to be able to expand and, and reach a broader audience, there are a lot of factors that are actually out of our control um, and a few in our within our control. Some of those factors out of our control are um, headset adoption. And what drives adoption is the comfort of these headsets, the price point of these headsets, social acceptance. And all of that, we believe, will be solved in time through these big tech companies. And in terms of social acceptance, that's something that we're solving by making it cool, by working with artists like Megan Thee Stallion, who are trailblazers in their own right to be able to show people that, hey, there's actually other use cases for this technology. Because as I mentioned before, with VR, it's about taking people into places and experiences that aren't possible in reality. So right now that is very, that context is very clearly focused on gaming, but we need to expand that outside of just gaming. And that's kind of how we will reach the masses.
0: The other one is, you know, how do you make this relevant, not just to Teens and, and young people, but to to Will's parents, to my parents, to, to generations that otherwise wouldn't be natural fits for the technology.
2: My mind first goes to TikTok, um, just since that's obviously the latest craze of these past few years, uh, which started off as a karaoke app for Gen Z. Um, but now, you know, everyone's on TikTok. Um, so similarly, I think it'll, you know, start with things that are making it accessible and cool, such as VR concerts, But, you know, if people start seeing in the workplace, they start seeing in training. We knew that Walmart's had a big push on using VR to integrate or using VR to train their workforces. Once it starts becoming more pervasive around society and people are using it more on a daily basis and people are more familiar with it and they see in their households, it'll become more accessible to our parents.
1: Now, you mentioned Walmart, which is interesting in terms of an indicator that could take this whole thing mainstream. But I want to wheel back to something Richard said about people potentially feeling a bit uncomfortable with it. And then your reference to Meg the Stellion. I mean, you really did have the cues in Austin, Texas. No live band had cues as long as Maze VR. You really had the cues. You were the hot act of the whole conference. And what we can't do is say to our audience, just go on YouTube and check out the experience because it's a VR experience. So I need you to use the word imagine here, get a paintbrush, and try and tell our listeners what they would experience at a 100 seat capacity. Maze VR Concert of Meg the
2: In a very literal sense, um, what they'll experience is about a 25-minute VR concert experience um, that's comprised of two parts. The first part is this gamified introduction that is welcoming you into the Hottieverse world. Um, So when you go in, you'll be able to see your friends next to you as avatars. You'll be able to compete with them as you collectively unlock the Hottieverse to start the VR concert itself. And also, that gamified intro, um, you don't need to know how to play games, you don't need controllers. It's very intuitive and we wanted to make it accessible for people who have zero experience with VR. And then that transitions into the core of the experience, uh, which is a four-song, four-world experience where Meg is within arm's reach of you, performing directly for you in these surreal otherworldly worlds. Uh, Since we capture her with our own custom 3D VR cameras, it's 9K plus, the video resolution is, is really quite good and pretty realistic. What's been so satisfying for us is seeing audiences leave the auditorium and they're not talking about what an incredible technologically advanced experience this is or what a great VR experience this is. People are talking about how they made eye contact with Megan, how Megan made them blush, how Megan made them excited. It's searing a real memory. So the memory isn't going to a theater and watching something that's across from you. And you're separated in a different world but the memory is that you're actually encountering meg herself and you're becoming her best friend and going into her worlds uh, for this performance like none other
1: what grabbed you most seeing bono close up live or seeing meg the stallion close up in vr
2: yeah seeing meg close up is really an experience like none other. it was uh it was pretty captivating but that bono experience even though i couldn't rewatch that experience i haven't seen it again because i feel like it would tarnish my memory of that experience just because I know the quality back then was quite terrible so i don't want to ruin that memory but that really was a truly um incredible experience
0: i've got two more questions to dig into one is just to help people understand you know you've got all the tech giants involved here and whether it's uh, facebook renaming itself meta to capitalize on the metaverse or google or microsoft with the hololens or or apple with whatever they'll do and sony how is it that you guys, uh, at a company like Amaze VR, how do you play nicely with all these big tech giants in the sandbox? Are you agnostic to who you work with or how does, how does it work, your relationship with these kind of giant companies that are so, so dominant in the economy in so many ways?
2: Yeah, so the platform that we're building for VR concerts will be headset agnostic. So we're creating it so that it can actually interoperate with all of these headsets across the board. Because if our dream and our mission is for every artist to have their own VR concert on Amaze someday, uh, we need to make it as accessible as possible. I think what also helps is that we're not focused on building the hardware. We're not focused on building headsets, on building those ecosystems necessarily, but we're just laser focused on building our corner of this VR music metaverse itself. I think the value that we're providing is that we are only creating VR concerts. You know, we at Amaze, we decided to focus purely on music Back in 2019, before the pandemic even started, we are really trying to provide that 10X experience, something that is truly differentiated, creating a new category within music for artists to be able to tap into, to reach their fan base and broaden their fan base in a completely creative and unique way.
0: I've been covering tech for close to 30 years, and something that I recalled the guys at Nokia, which for a long time, was the largest handset vendor in the world, smartphone vendor in the world, and uh, one of the most innovative tech companies in the world, even though it is now largely dearly departed. But the guys at Nokia, back when they were just thinking about the smartphones in probably 2005 to 2008 timeframe, they had this concept of Swiss, see what I see. And the idea was you could hold up your phone and live stream what was going on in front of you so that someone else could share in your experience. And I guess that brings the question to my mind, how do you think about these music experiences? Are they something that ultimately is meant to be shared? Will and I might go to a music festival, and together we get to see a band. It's an event we're going to share together. But I guess when you're filming these concerts, you might not even have an audience there. You're creating this content so it can be shared individually, but not between people how do you think about building that metaverse if we think about it in terms of something we all participate in together at the same time or are you building the kind of individual experience we can all decide to tap into whenever we have free time or whenever we we're
2: looking for a bit of entertainment how do you think about those two poles of what you're trying to accomplish yeah that's that's a great question so you know when you're building for the internet or the web pages it's it's a very Flat screen, the user's on one side, and then you're watching something on a phone, on this display, on a monitor, on TV, whatever, you you know, you can imagine. But when you're creating for the metaverse, the whole value of it is to displace somebody, to teleport something to a new world. And also understanding that music is a communal experience. Music brings people together. So we need to be able to create a virtual place for fans to be able to come together and build community and have meaningful things to do that are all within the music realm. And also, of course, to be able to see shows and share that experience together as well. You know, what you saw at South By, yes, it's a pretty, you know, individual experience, but that's really just the foundation. It's the starting point of everything that we're building. The interactive and social elements that are in the intro are actually the modules that we'll be integrating into the VR concert itself so that you can actually interact with it more. You can actually socialize with people in it. Um, and all those elements will heighten the sense of presence to make that experience even more real and even more memorable.
0: So with that, I think uh, we're all going to teleport our way to the break. There's a lot to think about in terms of how we're going to fill the rest of the evening now with all the virtual concerts we can dip in and out of and all the various friends we might want to share those experiences with. It's a fascinating concept. We'll come back and talk about it more in the second half with Ernest Lee and Will Page talking about the metaverse on Bubble Trouble.
1: Welcome back to Bubble Trouble with myself, my co-host Richard Kramer, and our very special guest, Ernest Lee, the co-CEO of Amaze VR, the company which had longer queues at South by Southwest than any live band sweating out on stage. And Ernest, you've opened our eyes to a lot of stuff in part one. I just want to go down a rabbit hole with you for a second, but you mentioned Walmart and VR in the same sentence. Most people tuning into the show did not expect to hear that. So can you just unpack that for us. You're saying that Walmart, who I think of as a sort of big box retailer across America, is actually experimenting and embracing with VR? Yeah,
2: for the past few years, actually, they were working with a company, I believe, called Striver, where they would, I don't know exactly how many headsets they had purchased, but it was a significant amount. Man, I need to go back and look how much more effective it is. But it was significantly more effective, the training in VR, as opposed to trying to put people through videos and have people on their laptops and clicking through things while they're doing a million other things. Um, so the value of it is because there's two sides of the sword here. With It's a double-edged sword in terms of having your full undivided attention. So yes, it kind of blocks you off from the real world if you're having this experience, but also it blocks you off from the real world. So you can have your undivided attention to be focused on the training. And using VR, it actually it encourages the user to have to participate, to interact with it and to have actual consequence in their decisions.
1: With VR, I remember when I wrote the book and Economics, I have this line is, what price is your undivided attention? When attention spans are so short, they're so fickle, there's so many distractions out out there, the counterfactual VR really appreciates in this currency because now I know I've got you. Now you can't be distracted. So it's what did I prevent as opposed to what did I achieve? And I guess what Walmart is thinking is, here's a way of knowing that this training sunk in. It could be Very relevant training, health and safety. It could be red ink and whiteboards training, which is not that relevant. But, you know, now I know I've captured your attention. There has to be a market value to that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of my friends, he's he's an ortho. And at his hospital, they have some VR training aids as well. And what's really great about it is they can recreate different simulations that typically would require so much time and resources to set up. But using VR, they're able to run through these simulations really quickly time and time again.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. It's, it might happen through the front door. We talk about Travis Scott and Fortnite. We can talk about Meg Thee Stallion on Amaze VR. I get it. But it can also happen through the back door where adoption's happening during the nine to five of the working day, not the five to nine of the social evening.
0: Well, I could certainly tell you uh, as a parent, whenever you tried to do online learning and YouTube was a browser tab away, you never got undivided attention. I think there is something to be said for blocking out all stimuli. I guess my follow-on question would be, what's the duration of that undivided attention? For those of us who practice a little mindfulness in the morning, doing 10 minutes and really focusing yourself for 10 minutes on your breath or something else, Is that already feels like hard work. So what's the optimal time that people can spend in these environments before they wind up feeling disoriented and having an
2: out-of-body experience? The general rule of thumb in the VR industry is about 20 minutes for a new user. That after 20 minutes, the, you'll have some eye fatigue, you might feel a little motion sickness, and you need to take a break. Um, but what we found was really interesting, and actually knowing that, that drove our decision to keep Meg's VR concerts sh- on the shorter side. So it's only four performances, and the total experience um, with the gamified intro is about 25, 30 minutes but it was on that shorter side because we felt like that was the most that her fans would be able to tolerate. But the biggest critique that we've, and really the only critique that we've been getting from these shows is that people want more. People want longer. Um, they want to see more performances. That's a great problem to have. That's something very exciting for us. And that's something that our creative team has taken back uh, and is starting to implement for our future shows as well, to be able to lengthen the shows and have more songs, knowing that the audiences can actually tolerate more. And I think a lot behind that tolerance is also the quality of the experience itself. So if you were up on your feet for 20 minutes, let's say there's a high latency, when you're moving around, playing games, shooting zombies, hitting ping pong balls, uh, you're getting quite disoriented. But for something that we're building, it's, you know, with VR concerts, it's a seated experience. So you're not moving your head too much, uh,
1: which causes some of that motion sickness. And you say the audience is seated, but I've seen videos of people watching Meg The Stallion in Houston, Yes, they're seated, but they're not sitting still. Is that a fair comment?
2: We've had some people actually up and twerking outside of their <laughs> seats. But even with that sort of excitement, the resolution is quite high. The latency is really low. It's not as motion sickness inducing as some of these other experiences out there.
1: And one other benefit of what you're doing, I just want to throw into the pot there, is city location. So when you're touring through VR... You're not driving 50 trucks around America with the load-ins and the load-outs and an environmental issue there if you want to touch on it too. But when I worked on the Billie Eilish live stream of 2020, I was looking at which cities were responding to the concert that she wouldn't normally tour in the first place. I think that's another extension, which is there may be the case that Meg has got a huge fan base in Vancouver, but she's never been up there to tour. With VR, that becomes much more accessible.
2: That's something we're, we're really excited about because pretty much every city has a movie theater. And it's seeing this first showcase with Megan the Stallion, as we transform these movie theater auditoriums into these VR concert venues, um, it's really exciting, because especially with the VR concert portion, that is, you know, it's a, it's a one-on-one experience between the artist and the fan. But when you're experiencing a theater, something we did not expect was how communal and how loud it was going to get. So even though once the VR concert portion started and you can't see each other's avatars, um, You knew everyone else was there and people were up and dancing and screaming and and (laughs) their friends.
1: Fascinating. I just wanted to ask, again, on this thrust of this conversation here about when does this thing go mainstream? Do you see a day where tours don't start on the road, but the order of events changes? So they start with VR first and then go out into trucks, touring stadiums and theaters second. Do you see that happening in the next 12 months, 24 months, or is that a distant... Memory,
2: you know, obviously can't tell the future. not exactly sure how that will roll out. But our belief is that what we're building, these VR concerts, is a completely new category of entertainment. And as an artist's most valuable commodity is our time, they have to be quite careful with how they devise their overall artist strategy. So right now, you know, they're when they're thinking about their strategy, they're thinking of streaming, touring, partnerships, whatever. Um, but we hope to add to that mix VR concerts as well. So instead of something that's going to displace tours, displace in-person concerts, we see it as an additive thing—something that's going to be another tool for artists to create um, and to connect with fans, um, and something that can that needs to work harmoniously with other core components within their artist strategy.
1: I presume the same goes for Walmart, whether it be touring with bands or trading within department stores. It's additive to what's already there as well. Exactly.
0: Let me let me ask one other use case that sort of seems to overlap somewhat and comes up a lot in the VR world, which is travel and sort of the ability to experience other places. We all have way more than five senses. I think there's something like 28 uh, that we have, a sense of of being in motion, the sense of impending danger, the sense of hot and cold. We have lots of other senses to tap into. And those are obviously a, a really integral part of the sort of travel experience and and being somewhere else, anywhere we go, the the air and the taste different, the food tastes different, everything tastes different. How do you think a, a VR concert experience can tap into the venue, the locale? What are ways that, that you can see the technology evolving where you're going to tap into more than just our sight and sound?
2: There's actually a lot of research and work being done in terms of how do we tap into those other senses? So I've seen other startups, they're creating ways to, to dispense smells because if you actually smell something, um, it can really transfer you to these different experiences. There are some, some haptic motion chair companies that also integrate fans. So let's say you're flying through an experience and you feel that wind against your skin that heightens that sense of presence. There's the company, The Void. Um, they do their focus on LBEs, location-based entertainment. And they did this experience with Star Wars where you're actually you walk out on this this open elevator and it's over this lava pit and you actually feel the heat um, as you're descending into that lava pit and I remember I was with a friend who was carefully tiptoeing looking over the edge and I grab my friend from the back and he jumps as if he was going to fall into the lava pit.
0: I, I remember one of the one of the uh, first HTC Vive demos I saw probably 2016 or so. Uh, they had this where you were in a spaceship. And they slowly remove panels that you're standing on. And you look down and you realize the last panel just slid away. And you, you do get the sensation that you should be falling through the floor, through space. But let me move on to the last section of, of our Bubble Trouble podcast, where we ask our guests to uh, indulge in a little experimental uh, psychedelia in terms of stuff they look out for. One of the other senses they tap into their smell, and that's smoke signals. So we're going to ask you some of the sort of uh uh-oh moments you see when you hear people talk about new areas like the metaverse or VR. What are the things that make you go, you know, this gets me worried (laughs) that we're on the cusp of a bubble here. Maybe it's claims that are just wildly overreaching. Maybe it's something about what the technology can or can't do. But what are the kind of things that you want our listeners to be on the lookout for when they hear all this discussion of the metaverse and say, no, that's not really what we're talking about. Let's get back to uh, trying to see our favorite band
2: up close and personal. I think one thing that always throws me off is if I hear people saying that they're building the metaverse, um, that's that's always a very interesting thing for me to hear because one day the metaverse will be as ubiquitous as the internet. And in that, it's not a single entity that's actually building the metaverse, but it's a collective whole. And it's something that's really a broader concept that will tie together all the technologies of tomorrow, essentially. And then for VR, when I hear people coming to me saying, Hey, Ernest, you gotta, you gotta check this out. This is gonna be the coolest VR experience that you don't even need a headset. I'm like a VR experience that you don't need a headset. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, I've heard people say, oh yeah. I mean, the world we live in now is a virtual reality. Um, What do we, you know, what actually is real? So when I hear things like that, that also throws me for a bit. Yeah, we had a
0: previous guest uh, talking about crypto and talking about red pilling. And of course, when you take the red pill in the matrix, you can't go back. Uh, You've gone down one direction. There's no there's no going back. And I guess for some people that might have bought crypto at much higher prices, they might feel like they've swallowed the wrong pill right now. But uh, I guess that VR experience without the headset is just reality. And is there something in between VR and I know people talk about mixed reality a lot. Do you see a place for an experience which isn't as tech hardware intensive that starts to give people a taste of what they might get in a virtual world without obliging them to fully immerse themselves?
2: Today, there's a pretty clear delineation between VR which is complete immersion, right? It it takes you out of your current place and puts you in a completely new world. And then with AR, which is really just these digital layers overlaying the physical world we're in now, and then also reality, which is none of that. But it really is going to be a spectrum someday And that VR and AR are two ends of the same spectrum. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we could even have a single MR headset with, you know, Apple is the worst kept secret in the world that's coming out, you know, in the near future, we can expect that here soon. I think in the future, people will be able to just wear a single headset or glass and eventually maybe even contact lenses. And it will just be a seamless experience from VR to AR, depending on what the moment calls for.
0: If you think about that Harry Styles concert that Will went to the other week, you've got the recorded music, which is on Apple Music. You've got Harry Styles doing a live streaming performance for Apple. That'll clearly be recorded And then what you're saying is your Amaze VR will take that and create a package, a much richer experience out of it where you can experience Harry Styles as if you're on stage with him in a sort of up close and personal way that is just the next layer of immersion that people are going
2: to go for. Right. Being able to experience the artist closer than than ever before in any kind of show, uh, but also to be able to interact in the space and interact with environments and to be Living in these surreal CG worlds, that's not possible in reality. Uh, I think that's what's really exciting for artists is that the only limitation is themselves on the creativity itself.
1: You're making me think louder and it's bringing it to a wrap there. It's just how many times have you heard fans go to stadium concerts saying I coughed up $100 to see a dot on Horizon. And I guess the way that your company is looking at that remark is very different from the way the tour promoters are looking at that remark, which is you don't need to see a dot on Horizon anymore. We can, we can solve that with technology. So there is the the aspect of being there, being there in person, but then there is the downside of, you know, a hundred bucks for a Dr. Horizon, is that really good value for money? Or is there a better way to experience the art form? And um, This podcast has been an education for me. I think both myself and Richard, the pendulum swings for us, but being a on metaverse, being an optimist, and I think you've swung us in the optimist direction. I knew that you guys are cracking it with music because I experienced it firsthand. I did not expect to be discussing travel, and training, the Walmart using VR for training, they really hit me for six and to start thinking about adopting it in travel. So maybe the adoption comes through the back door as opposed to the front door, but it's, it's coming. That's the thing that we're helping the audience prepare for. So with that, I want to thank Richard Kramer, my co-host, and yourself, Ernest Lee, and encourage folk to follow you on Amaze VR. This has been Bubble Trouble, and we'll be back with you next time. If you're new to Bubble Trouble, we hope you'll
0: follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Bubble Trouble is produced by Eric Newsom, Jesse Baker, and Julia Natt at Magnificent Noise. You can learn more at bubbletroublepodcast.com. Will Page and I will see you next time.